It's time now for the complete story with Dick Bott, a public news and information feature of Bot Radio Network to keep you informed about the most important issues of our day. Now, here is Dick Bott with today's complete story. Rich, over and over and over again, we have talked about life being a journey. Uh, life being a story that has many chapters, don't we? Well, yes, and it's always exciting to see how the Lord intervenes to create a new story in our life. Exactly. When that little baby is born, you see that little precious baby is born, and then what happens after that? And how many times they come to know the Lord, sometimes through some unusual experiences. But we have a guest today. Listen, folks, turn your radio up. Because we have a guest today, believe it or not, is 94 years old. And so help me, Hannah Rich, I think he's in better shape than I am. Well, and he's been serving the Lord a long time, but there was a time in his life when he gave his life to Jesus. And we're going to hear all about that. Well, friends, you have heard me say over and over again that I started out in little Robbinsdale, Minnesota. That is a suburb of Minneapolis and the church that I went to. As a young person, as a teenager, maybe 14, 15 years old, meant such a difference in my life, really, not only being a Christian, why, but really starting to get excited about the things of the Lord. So that was Calvary Temple at that time, later became known as Souls Harbor. Some of the most wonderful people in my whole life experience are from those days out of that church because it was a church that loved people, loved the Lord. And uh, what else can I possibly say? Well, and our guest today came to know Christ at Souls Harbor. So that's the the point where he came to know Jesus. Now, his name is Cy Risk. That's S-I. I imagine that's Simon, isn't it? Yes. All right. Now, Cy Risk, R-A-S-K, from Minneapolis, Minnesota. I want you... To say hello to the listeners, you're 94 years old. You were born in what year? 1923. All right. Tell us, tell us your story. When did your father and mother uh, come to America? Well, my father and mother knew each other uh, back in Lebanon. In fact, he had proposed to her there, and she had turned him down. Oh. So, and his father was a merchant, so they he took a trip with his father someplace. Uh, went maybe South America or somewheres, and my mother came by herself. Well, she came with a brother because she had a brother living in northeast Minneapolis who wrote her and told her to come. So she was an immigrant from Lebanon. That's right, yes. Well, how'd your dad catch up? Because he asked her to marry him, but she turned him down. Yes, she, she must have been pretty spunky. She was very spunky. <laughs> well, she's in Minneapolis. He's in South America. Yes, yes. Uh, Anyway, uh, they came to this when my, when they arrived at Ellis Island with her brother. They'd been on the boat for about se- six or seven weeks. Uh, the brother had caught uh, pink eye, so when they came to Ellis Island, they would not let uh, him into the country because of the pink eye. And uh, so, should I? Have oh, sure, absolutely. Because folks, I, I I want every one of our listeners to think now. At that time, an immigrant. It was a privilege to come to America. And if there was a problem, if there was a disease or a sickness or for any reason, this person was not hale and hearty, 
Why, then, of course, the Immigration Service said, no, 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 we want people to come, but not with problems. We want people to come who are looking for opportunity. Yes. So what happened then? Well, uh, my mother— By the way, what year would this have been? How many years ago? It was shortly after the 1900s. At the turn of the century, the the 1900s. Okay. Yes. Uh, So he went on to some places in South America— where my mother later heard that he had been killed. Oh. And uh, later, when my father returned, he found out where she'd gone to America. So he got on the ship, and he came to uh, someplace in, in, in uh, Indiana. I think it was in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Really? And he worked. He was working uh, like 10 hours a day for a dollar a day. And my uncle wrote him and said, come to Minneapolis, the money, you, you get better wages here. So he came to uh, Minneapolis and uh, met my mother again and again proposed to her. And this time she accepted him. Yeah. L- listen, folks, at that time, and it's really a good principle, uh, immigrants came to get a job, to earn money, to have freedom and liberty, and to grow and to become part of uh, what America is made up of. Is that? Am I saying that right? Yes, you are. So, did they live in a Lebanese community there in Minneapolis? Yeah, well, we lived in. A, there were all types of uh, people. We were next door to a Swedish family. Across the street was an Italian family, and next door to them was a, a Polish family. It was a mixed. It was the melting pot of the it city. It was. Yeah, so you're 94 years old now. Yes. We're going to get into your testimony in a moment. But what is your earliest memory? 94 years old now. What is your earliest memory when life seemed to take on a form for you? Well, I started school. Uh, I remember writing down. Uh, it was nine, I started in school. I, I remember, remember the first day. I wrote, we had to write our names on top of the paper to the left, and on top of the paper on the right, we would put the date down. And I remember writing down uh, 1930. And I, I, I changed from 1929 to 1930, and I, I remember thinking at that time, how many times will I see that change? Yeah. Will I see it to go to 1940 and 1950 and so on? Yeah, uh, yeah. See, folks, I've, I've told our audience, by the way, I think of our audience as the, as the Bot Radio Network family. And as I mentioned so many times, I'm 84, 84 in October, actually. I was born in 33, and you, in 1933, and you're talking about 1929. Uh, that was the big crash. Yes. That was a huge, big crash of everything that led America into a depression. Yes. Boy, there was no free anything then, was there? No, there wasn't. When did your father uh, become an American citizen? Well, he applied for uh, citizenship, and I don't know exactly when he received it, but when he received it, he was so proud to be an American that he had the citizenship papers framed and hung on the wall in the front room. And when people would come to our house to visit... He would never leave him that leave the house without him marching over to to the wall and pointing at that wall and saying, "You see that certificate?" The judge asked me a question and I answered the question and he said, "Mr. Rich, you would be a, you're going to be a fine citizen." So he was very proud to be a citizen, 
And as we grew up, we, we were so proud to be citizens of, of the, America. Of the United States. Of the United States. And to obey its laws. That's right. And to become one of us. Us is the U.S. And uh, to be an American. That's right. See, that's the thing that is so contentious right now. People aren't sure, what law do I follow, Sharia law or American law? Or what does the Constitution mean to me or any of that? Because it's so confusing, we have lost the wonder of becoming United States citizens, whatever our color, and from wherever we have come, we are still one. Now, I have an audio recording of a judge uh, swearing in a group of immigrants to be citizens. I want our audience to turn up their radio and listen to this right now. It's about 2 minutes, 20 seconds, and I think it'll be very meaningful. Here it is. I hereby declare on oath that I absolutely and entirely renounce and abjure all allegiance and fidelity to any foreign prince, potentate, state or sovereignty, of whom or which I have heretofore been a subject or citizen, that I will support and defend the Constitution and laws of the United States of America against all enemies, foreign and domestic, that I will bear true faith and allegiance to the same, that I will bear arms on behalf of the United States when required by the law, that I will perform non-combatant service in the armed forces of the United States when required by the law, that I will perform work of national importance under civilian direction when required by the law, and that I take this obligation freely, without any mental reservation or purpose of evasion. So help me God. I welcome you all to the fabric of American society as American citizens. You may wave that flag. It is Oh, Sai. I said, you may wave that flag. It is yours. Amen. Yes. Now, um, Rich and I are interviewing a dear, dear friend, actually a part of my extended family, uh, for sure. Uh, and Sai, at 94 years old, you were just privileged to go back to Washington, D.C. on an honors flight. Yes. A lot of our listeners know what that is. But that's a one-day flight for World War II veterans uh, to see the memorials and that sort of thing. When was that? And your son went with you, didn't he? Yes, it was in October of last year. Uh, that would be 2016. 2016. 
and I went and um, I went free because I was a veteran. My son had to pay five hundred dollars, <laughs> which he was very happy to. Well, yes, because uh, uh, see, last October then. You were 93. Three, I was 93. And, and he, your son, went with you yes. to share in that. Um, tell us just about that. Well, uh, it was uh, there were only four of us from World War II. The rest of them were for Vietnam and, and the Korean veterans. Uh-huh. Uh, so we kind of received special treatment uh, because there's not too many World War II veterans no, left. No, that's so right. So it was a very uh, uh, unbelievable flight. Uh, they treated us royally. Uh, we went. We saw many different uh, uh, historic places, which I had never seen, and uh, it really blessed me. And we returned uh, late at night. We left early, about five in the morning, and returned about eleven o'clock at night. Oh man, well, hey, Rich, Rich, because Rich has heard me say this. This was in one day for a ninety-three-year-old man. All of that. How on earth could you handle it, man? When I heard you were doing that, I thought. I couldn't even begin to handle that. Uh, Sai, tell us now, you uh, told me the other night that you served in the Pacific Theater. Yes. uh, Especially Okinawa Okinawa. and and maybe some of the other battles as well. And uh, what was that like when you saw the World War II Memorial? Uh, It it really brought back a lot of memories. Uh, We had stopped on different islands on the way to Okinawa. We left Hawaii uh, first of all, I was sent to Hawaii for six months of jungle amphibious training, and after six weeks, we were alerted and put on a ship with probably 10 or 12 ships, and we stopped at different islands, and every time we stopped at an island, uh, other ships would join us there. So when we arrived at Oka- on Okinawa, there were 1,500 ships. 1,500 ships. This was a huge armada, yes. and I, I love this This learning about this part of history, but Okinawa is where they had the uh, the kamikaze attacks yes. from the Japanese, right. yes. the suicide attacks, and it was a very, very brutal time. Yes. And we thank God that he preserved you, right. and yeah, you fought yeah. faithfully. And your, your daughter told me that you wrote in a book, um, you signed your name, and then at this honor flight a memorial service that you wrote uh, something to the effect, I, I did what they told me to do. That's right. I yeah. did. <laughs> You, yeah. were, you were following orders. I was following orders. And you, you were faithful. And you were faithful, I and you faithful. knew what it was, chain of command. Yes, I did. And you were serving your country because your father had come from Lebanon and was so proud to be an American yes. that you picked that up as a youngster. And my two brothers also, right after December 7th, they joined the Marines. All right, now let's move ahead here a little bit, because you weren't a Christian. You didn't know the Lord is your Savior. No, no, I didn't. Uh, you didn't know the Lord is your Savior. And um, so give us the circumstances of that. Well, I, I married uh, after the war. Uh, I married during the war in uh, 1943, and I was discharged in 1946. In January of 1948, uh, our son was born. And uh, when he became three years old, uh, my uh, my wife woke me up one morning, Sunday morning. Because we're in Minneapolis. We're in Minneapolis, living in a small apartment. And she woke me up early on a Sunday morning, and, and I thought maybe the house was on fire. And she, I said, what's the matter? And she said, well, I want you to drive me to the church. And I said, why would you want me to drive you to the church? And she said, so I could take your son to Sunday school. And I said, well, you know, he's your son also, and I'm not worried about him. If you're worried about him, you drive my car all over town, drive it to Sunday school. So she... You 
Well, you were kind of a stubborn sort of a guy. Well, I was. You know, I had been in the Army, and I didn't like taking orders. <laughs> so anyway, every Sunday for about five Sundays, she, I would wait for her to wake me up uh, so I could say no to her. And then this final Sunday, I was... Uh, how, been old up, were, how old were you? I was 28 years old. Yeah. And... Uh, I'd I'd been you know I'd been drinking and smoking and gambling the night before and uh, I was very tired I I could hardly keep my eyes open and I I kept thinking to myself please ask me so I could say no and I go back to sleep and she wasn't asking me so I couldn't take it any longer and I said hey, aren't you going to go to church today and she said yes and I and she said I'm getting ready right now and I said well don't you want me to take you. And she said, no, you don't have to. I drive that car all over town. I can drive it to Sunday school. And uh, suddenly I was very wide awake and mad, and I thought, who does she think she is? That's my car. If it's going to go to Sunday school, it's going to go there because I'm driving it, not because she's driving it there. So I said, hey, maybe I'll drive you there. She said, no, you don't have to drive. I said, I'll drive you there. And you were having a little marital discussion. Yes, I was. Sounds like focus on the family. <laughs> and I said, and maybe I'll go to, just go with you once, just see what it's like. And she kind of looked at me kind of strange. And so I drove her to church, and I stayed and this was the first time I'd ever been in a Protestant church. When I, was, when I would walk down the street, I always liked to walk on the sunny side of the street. And if I had to cross a Protestant church, I crossed over the street, I passed right by it, and then I came back to the sunny side of the street. So yeah. I'd never been in a Protestant church in my life. And well, so, uh, Certainly not a Bible-preaching, <laughs> Bible-believing, gospel Outreach Church, no, it wasn't. which Calvary Temple was in Minneapolis. So many people. Yes. But anyway, go ahead. Well, uh, I I sat in in the my the pastor of the church would always advertise his sermons on a Sunday in the Saturday paper, and he would preach to the Christian. I found this out later. The morning service was geared for the Christian, and the evening service was geared geared to the, towards the sinner. So that's the way it was. Sunday morning lost. service was to feed the sheep, and then Sunday evening, everybody went to church Sunday right. night. Yeah. That was where the evangelistic services. Yes, Go it ahead. was, yes. And anyway, the preacher starts, you know, he's making all the announcements, and then he, time to preach, he, he gets up and he, says, he starts apologizing to the people. He says, I know I advertised my message, but I feel led to preach a different message. And of course, I, I know nothing about this, and I'm thinking to myself, hey, dummy, this is your church. Why are you apologizing? And so he began to preach a message. And the church was a very a large church. And the longer he preached, it seemed like the smaller the church got. And finally, it seemed like he and I were the only two people in there. Uh-huh. And he got to the end and he gave an invitation. Is there anybody here that's not saved, would like to be saved? Raise your hand. And of course, I'd never heard anything like that in my life. So I said, hey, I want to be saved. So I raised my hand. And they, I guess they gave an altar call, which was I, I was not familiar with. And I waited a while, I waited a while, and finally I bowed my head and I said, Lord, you know I want to be saved like that preacher is talking about, but I don't know what to do next. Please show me what you want me to do. And I raised my head and opened my eyes, and the pastor left the platform, and he came to where I was standing. And he said, would, would you like to go forward and pray? And I said, you mean right now? You know, we didn't, we didn't do that in our church. And I went forward, and I, I knelt, and I prayed, and I, uh, I, I, I don't know, I cried, and but I don't know how long I was there, but when I got up, 
I knew I was saved. Yeah, yeah. And that made a difference in your life? Oh, I guess it did. And your wife had become a Christian, a believer, and the Lord Jesus Christ earlier, but you hadn't known that. I had known that. He told her not to say anything to me. We'd just get into another argument. Hmm. So uh, I asked her, "Is there? Do they have service tonight?" She said, "Yes." I said, "Well, let's go." So we went to the ch- evening service, and after the preliminaries, the pastor got up and he said, "A young man was saved in this morning service. Stand up, sign, give a testimony." And I said to my wife, "What in the world's a testimony?" She said, "Well, just tell him what happened." So I did. I got up, said, I told her what had happened, and I sat down, and he asked her to get up and give a testimony. So she got up and she gave a testimony. And then she sat down and I looked at her. I said, well, when did you get saved? And she said, well, they were having special meetings last week and I came on Friday night with Melva and I got saved and the Lord impressed upon me not to say anything to you because we would just get into another argument that I should just begin praying for you. She says, so I began praying for you, but I didn't think you'd get saved this quick. Mm-hmm. And when I went to bed that night, I didn't know that I had smoked my last cigarette, drank my last liquor, and smoked and, and gambled for my last time because the next morning when I got saved, I was a new person. Yeah. Praise the Lord. Folks, we're talking about, and that pastor was Gordon K. Peterson of uh, Calvary Temple Souls Harbor Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Sigh. What happened next? Did you want to serve the Lord? Did you want to get involved? Did you want to be a productive member of the family? I'm talking about the Lord's family. Yes, yes, I, I did. In fact, I had been a salesman uh, for Sanders Cigar and Tobacco, been with them five years. After I got saved and the Lord had delivered me of these things, I gave them notice, and I quit my job. I got a job driving truck and I and days, and I went to Northwestern College nights studying the Bible. Yeah. And then, because uh, we're going to move along here now, and then there were years that you worked for the Billy Graham Evangelistic yes, Association. Yes, I, I worked for 11 years. Well, as a matter of fact, before then, you drove a Sunday school bus. I drove a Sunday school bus every yeah. Sunday for 20 years. For 20 years, drove a Sunday school bus picking up children. That's right. Who otherwise, families and children. And yeah. Families and children who otherwise maybe wouldn't get to church. Well, wait a minute. He drove the Sunday school bus with my grandpa Bot, your dad, dad. That's right. Because my grandfather was in charge of the bus department. And and uh, you worked with my grandfather. That's right. He asked me, "Would you would you mind being a Sunday school bus driver?" And I said, "Well, I don't want to kill anybody. Let me take an empty bus around and drive it around for a couple of days. And if I think I can handle it, I'll do it." So that's what I did. And I said, "Lord, I think we can handle this. Yeah. We'll start picking up children." All right. And as the little kids would come on the bus, you know, Jesus said, "These come unto me." You know, the little children. And, and I said, when they'd come on the bus, uh, I, I, in my heart, I'd say, climb aboard, Jesus. Yeah. You told us about this service you were in, and the lady that was that was speaking said, I am a Christian today because of my Sunday school bus driver. That's right. Tell us about yeah. that. Well, it was a, uh, a black family who I picked up every Sunday, yeah. and the father had lost both of his legs through, uh, I guess, diabetes, but I would pick the family up black family and take them to drive them around uh and some of these kids had nothing to eat so i would stop in and get uh, boxes of donuts and little half pints of milk and give them to them and this this family was so uh, so proud that i was picking their family up and this was back 
back in the 50s and 60s yeah, before yeah, they, in fact, yeah. when, the, when Martin Luther King Jr. was killed and there was a big riot and yeah. Plymouth Avenue, 6th Avenue North was gone in, down the in hill. In Minneapolis, sure. My bus was the only bus that was, they would let into that area. Is that right? Yes. Is that right? Yeah. All right, now, and then you worked for Billy Graham for a number of years. Folks were talking to Cy Risk. His name is Simon Risk. His father came from Lebanon at the turn of the century. Cy Risk, as he's sitting here in the Bot Radio Network studio, across from me is 94 years old last month. That would be July 2017. Now tell me, tell me this, Cy. Uh, at 94, are you still serving the Lord? Amen. <laughs> well, what do you do? Well, right now I'm I'm with the uh, Emmanuel Christian Center uh-huh. in Minneapolis. In Minneapolis, I I'm the visitation pastor. I visit the sick, the nursing homes, the uh, private homes, and I also work with a group called uh, Time of Your Life, fifty five and older. I'm their pastor. Oh, give us that name again. The time. Time of your life. The time of your life. They're having the time of their so life. So here you are, ninety-four, calling on the old folks. That's right. <laughs> and encouraging the old folks. Yes, yeah. And telling them we're going to pray. Does prayer change things? It certainly does. Prayer changes. And if there we came, pray in the name of the Lord. And there came a time when you had a chance to win your mom and dad to the Lord that's too. Right. Is that right? And I, that's right. I, I, my father died. He was just past a hundred. But uh, I, I witnessed my whole family, and my father said, I was born a Catholic. I want to die Catholic. And I said, Dad, I want you to die Catholic. I just want you to die a saved Catholic. I want you to know where you're going. And my the, mother— The church wasn't important. The idea is, do you as a person know the Lord that's right. as your Savior? That's right. Yeah. And, and your I, mother? And my father accepted the Lord. My mother accepted the Lord. And— my two, two of my four brothers accepted the Lord. Oh, listen, we don't. We, our time is running out so fast; it really moves along this crazy old clock. I don't know why we become um, prisoners to the clock, but I want the listeners to listen to this song. Here it is. you did that day at Calvary. 
That'll be enough for me To shout about for at least Ten million years You see one day when I stand before the angels I want to say Thank you Lord For giving to me Thy great salvation So full and so free goes by so quickly. Uh, this is Dick and Richbot with our special guest, Cy Risk from Minneapolis. Now go out and smile and show the love of Jesus to everybody you meet today. This is the, this chapter of the complete story is a public service. See you later.